there, I'm Dara Star Tucker, and welcome to I'm All Over the Place. We are trying something new this year. I want to bring you into a new venture that I am starting right now. If you don't know, I now have a radio show on KJLH in LA. And I want to be able to share some of those episodes with you. So I will be sharing some of the content that I'm doing for KGLH in L.A. We're having some very interesting discussions on a wide variety of topics. And I want to bring that to my I'm all over the place audience. I think you'll enjoy some of these conversations. And so we're going to be sharing that here for the next few weeks. The first conversation that is happening is around a topic that I am very passionate about, and that is black conservatism. I'm discussing this whole idea of racism laundering, which I've done breakdowns about. I'm going to talk about the breakdown. You'll hear me introducing myself to the KJLH audience. If you want to listen to these episodes a couple of weeks before they air here, you can download the KJLH app and listen to them live if you want to do that. Or you can wait for me to share them here. Either way, I'm looking forward to having some great conversations with you all about the topics that matter. I want to let you know that we now do have a breakdown store. We have a store where you can purchase breakdown merchandise, and you can find that at darastartucker.com. The breakdown store, we've got hoodies, t-shirts, tumblers, all kinds of things if you want to take some of the breakdown home with you. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to this first episode of The Breakdown on KGLH. For the I'm All Over the Place audience, this one is on black conservatism and racism laundering. Hope you have a wonderful day and we will see you next Monday morning at 5 a.m. We're going to be very consistent about our posting schedule. That's the really, really good thing about this. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and be sure to find me online, Dara Tucker B on Instagram, Dara Star Tucker on every other platform. That's Dara with one R and Star with two. I look forward to sharing this conversation with you. I hope you have a great one. Well, this is Dara Star Tucker, and I am so glad to be with you for our inaugural show. This is called The Breakdown with Dara Star Tucker. And if you don't know who I am, I am a singer, and I also do online commentary on social, political, and cultural, racial issues. And during the pandemic, I started to speak out. I, I felt like I was going to burst. And as we remember, there were a lot of social and cultural issues that were just exploding at that time, as they are now. But at that time, we were dealing with not only the pandemic, but we were dealing with the George Floyd killing. We were dealing with Breonna Taylor. There was all sorts of upheaval going on with the election. And then January 6th happened. And I had so much to say, but I felt boxed in as a singer. And I thought, are people going to accept me expressing my views on some controversial topics? Are they going to accept this from me? But I just decided to kind of thumb my nose in the face of those expectations that some people may have had of me as being a performer. And, you know, I don't know, are they going to enjoy my music as much if they know how I feel about certain things? After a point, I just had to say, look, this is who I am. If people accept it, they accept it. And if they don't, they don't. So that's how I ended up where I am now. It's been about three years since that period of time. And my online following has just exploded. There have been people that have found me because of my commentary that never would have found me because of my music. And it's just a wonderful thing to be able to now combine those two things. I still perform, I still travel, but I do this also. And so I was invited uh, by the KGLH family to come and be a part of what they're doing. And they asked me to come and just express who I am to bring my vibe, the Dara Star Tucker vibe to KGLH. And I'm, I'm just so incredibly happy to be here. So what we're going to be doing here on a weekly 
basis is we're going to be breaking down some important social, cultural issues. We're going to be talking about race, things that may get a little bit controversial, but I'm going to do that from my perspective. And I hope that there is something that you can find and you can plug into about what I'm doing that speaks to you and that resonates with you. We're going to be starting conversations. We're going to be holding kind of a public town square where we can have these discussions about things that matter to all of us, things that impact how we engage with the world. And we're going to break down issues that may be difficult to understand, current events, things that are happening politically. And we're going to hopefully make those things easier for you to get your head around. I do an online series called The Breakdown, and I want to bring some of those episodes to you and then have conversations about those episodes with you. And we're going to bring that conversation to the online space as well. I'm inviting you to join me at the KJLH Instagram page, where I'll be there having conversations with you and really getting into the nitty gritty of some of these topics. This stuff really inspires me. It excites me, as you can hear. It really lights my fire. And I'm really, really, really looking forward to taking this journey with you. So I want to start this conversation by talking about a subject that has great resonance and importance with me, and I know it does with a lot of you. I grew up very conservatively. My father was a minister, and my mother was also a minister. My parents were musicians. Grandmother was a Pentecostal holiness minister. I grew up in the church, very, very, very deeply steeped in the church. And I was surrounded by a whole lot of conservatives, not only white conservatives, but also black conservatives. I grew up with a lot of black folks who did their best to assimilate and to acquiesce to the world of white evangelical conservatism. And you might find that hard to believe considering what I talk about these days. But one of the reasons that I do what I do is to reach people who are where I was or who are in their own journey of asking some very important questions about colonialism and how it impacted Christianity and how that developed in the United States and about many more deep issues that affect blackness and Christianity and spirituality and the Jewish faith and the Muslim faith. I'm interested in how all of those things interact and intersect with each other. But the particular strain of Christianity that I grew up in, part of it was conservative evangelical Christianity. Now, my father grew up in the Holiness Pentecostal Church. As I said, his mother was a Pentecostal pastor. So he would take us back to that environment. And she was also a worker that dealt with the homeless in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where I'm from. So we had our feet in a couple of different worlds. I have a very, very big family. So I was not exclusively raised in the world of evangelical Christianity. So I feel like in that sense, I was exposed to something outside of the world of evangelical conservatism. So slowly over time, I started to ask some really important questions. We were not allowed to simply steep in this world of white evangelical Christianity. We had a whole other world that influenced us. And I went through my period of asking some questions about, well, why does black poverty exist in the way that it does in the United States? And, you know, is this a, is this a flaw in our community? And if you simply stop at asking those shallow questions, you're going to land in the place that a lot of black conservatives and a bunch of white ones have landed. But if you continue to ask questions and dig just a little bit deeper, as I began to do, as I got a little bit older and started learning more about how the world works and learning more about history and really educating myself, when you start to ask those deeper questions, you start to come in contact with some deeper answers. So one of the breakdowns that I have done recently is specifically on the topic of black conservatism and the toxic allure of white approval. This is a piece where I attempted to really get to the heart of why it is that conservatism, this particular form of toxic conservatism that we're dealing with in this day and age, why that kind of conservatism tends to appeal to a certain group of black people. So I'm going to play this piece for you and then I'm going to come back and we're going to discuss it. We're going to break down the breakdown, if that's all right. This piece was called The Intoxicating Allure of White Approval. Here it is. 
It's intoxicating being the black person that white people approve of. And I know this because that's how I grew up. Being the black person that white people approved of and being deathly afraid of losing that approval. White people, after all, have the most power in the U.S. They have most of the money and most of the influence. By and large, black people have been at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder since we were brought here in chains. That inferiority thing can hit you hard if you don't have a strong support system around you to remind you of your inherent value and beauty and worth, and if you're not taught the truth about our history and the impact of the unjust systems that create inequality. You can start to believe the lie that there's something inherently wrong with you, with your people. That's why black folks are fully capable of perpetuating anti-blackness. It starts with believing the lie taught to us by white supremacy, that we are by nature brutish and savage and deeply in need of civilizing. And that's what whiteness offers, the promise of that much-needed civilizing force, at which point ostensibly we'll become acceptable to them and we'll finally be welcomed into polite society with open arms. This oftentimes is at the root of black conservatism. And I'll admit, it can be deeply angering to witness, although I was raised around a lot of black conservatives. Black conservatives can be just as vicious, if not more vicious, than white racists because they can get away with saying things about black people that closeted white racists can't. People like Clarence Thomas, Candace Owens, Thomas Sowell, Tim Scott, and Kanye have made a name for themselves in toxic conservative circles by telling a particular group of white folks exactly what they want to hear. That systemic racism is a myth, that black people whose free labor fueled the economy for hundreds of years are essentially lazy and just want handouts, and that we need a return to the good old days where black people didn't complain so much. And this strategy by and large has worked for them. They get to experience the intoxication of white approval while being treated to yacht trips by well-connected billionaires and earning copious amounts of money by parroting white supremacist talking points. I mean, what's the downside? A certain segment of white America will always need black mouthpieces to say what they would say sound racist for saying. It's lifelong job security. There have always been black conservatives to be sure, but this new breed seems to exist solely for the purpose of downplaying the effects of racism on behalf of their conservative overlords. It's a dirty business whose primary purpose is to create a counter narrative to a growing racial awareness and to provide cut and paste talking points to internet trolls, or maybe just your totally not racist uncle. Black folks peddling white supremacy to win white approval will always be big business, as long as those in power have something to gain from it. That's why it's important to remember that just because a black person said it doesn't mean it's not anti-black. Stay woke. Stay woke, y'all. Let's not be intimidated away from that phrase. I have to remind myself every once in a while, stay woke is rooted in blackness, and it is not something that we should allow to be co-opted and taken out of our control. But the intoxicating allure of white approval, I'm speaking about a subject that I, I feel that I am somewhat of an expert in. And I feel like folks like me, and there, there are plenty of people like me out there um, who are maybe not as willing to come, quote unquote, out of the closet about having been raised in a more conservative environment. Now, my parents were not super politically active. They were not flag-waving Republicans. They were not even probably registered to vote. And if my father had been, he probably would have been a Democrat. But I was raised around a lot of folks, black and white, who were super, super conservative. And that was the trajectory that I was expected to go down, I think. And a lot of it is rooted in social conservatism, conservatism around issues like abortion, around homosexuality, around trans issues. These are issues that a lot of church-going folks, again, my parents were ministers, church-going folks have a very difficult time lining up with liberals on. 
And so for that reason, I think a lot of black folks get kind of carried off and ferried into this world of conservatism that involves so much more than just these social issues. But if you can snag them with this particular set of issues, then you're good to go. You can sell them on the rest. And that's how a lot of them get carried down this pathway of being mouthpieces for frankly, white racists who need someone with black skin to express these very, very problematic viewpoints that white folks would sound racist for expressing. You know, it was kind of funny. I posted a video the other day of a sports commentator named Jimmy the Greek from the early 80s who was expressing some very racist viewpoints that he ended up getting in a lot of trouble for, ended up getting fired for all the way back then. And someone commented under my post, hey, it's actually kind of refreshing that white folks back in the day, they didn't mask their racism. They just kind of came out and said it how they said it. But nowadays, it's really not socially acceptable to come out and just outright say, I think black people are inferior. These people are a slave race. They are only built for physical dominance, but let white people do the thinking, which is essentially what Jimmy the Greek was saying. You could never, ever, ever open your mouth and say something like that now. I mean, obviously he got in trouble for saying it back then, but he wasn't having to deal with any internal checks and balances around that. He just let it slip out. And we got to hear the fully unfiltered version of what goes on in some of these folks' minds. But you're not really gonna hear that these days. Folks become very, very careful and very ginger about how they allow themselves to express their viewpoints. They know that certain things are not ever going to be acceptable. So if I can house this in very careful, politically correct language, then I can get away with saying things that my grandfather or my father might have said that came off much more harshly than they do now. And the other tactic they use is simply to get a black person to say it. Candace Owens can get away with saying some crap that Tucker Carlson cannot. As bad as Tucker Carlson gets, if he were to say half the crap that Candace Owens says, that man would have been fired even from Fox News way before he was. He knew he couldn't get away with it. But if you can get a commentator on your show that has black skin to say the same crap that you would sound racist for saying, you can totally get away with that stuff. And that's the crazy part. Conservatives need black mouthpieces. I was watching a video today by someone I recently started following named Elizabeth Booker Houston. And she said she constantly gets comments of people accusing her of being a paid mouthpiece for liberal issues. And she said, you know what? I got reached out to by a liberal super PAC, an organization that wanted me to talk about some liberal issues. And when I told them how much I wanted to be paid to talk about these liberal issues that I'm already talking about, they ghosted me. She said, you know what? They don't really have money like that, but you know who does pay? Conservatives, they are absolutely willing to pay the right black people. If you are well-spoken in their eyes, they are looking for competent black people to parrot white supremacists talking points. There is a huge market for black folks, especially in online spaces, to talk about conservative issues that border or completely land in the territory of white supremacy. They need us. And there are plenty of black folks out there who are ready for the payday. There are plenty of them who are working right now, and there are plenty of them who are coming down the pike. We're going to see more and more of this as we advance in the age of social media, because that is what it's all about. It's all about creating the messaging, to convince particularly young people that one side or the other is winning the information game. 
So it's very important to be aware that a lot of the messaging that you're hearing is paid, whether they say that it's paid or not. A lot of these people are very much being motivated by the bottom line. And with some folks, if they already espouse conservative views, it really doesn't take much leading and much pushing for them to go just a little bit farther over to the right and start talking about these racial issues from a point of view that satisfies their white overlords. It doesn't really take a whole lot to push them just a little farther down the line so that they engage in this practice of being a mouthpiece for white supremacy. Now, I'm thankful to have been raised around my grandmother, to have been raised around cousins that kept me grounded in a world of blackness, just plain and simple. They kept me grounded as a human being. There was absolutely no way that I could distance myself from black folks, which allowed me to develop a consciousness that many of these black conservatives simply do not have. They have been raised upper class. They have gone to private school. They have been the only black person in so many environments till they really are out of touch with what it means to be a black person in the world. They simply have black skin which is an asset to people who really don't care about your blackness. And unfortunately, a lot of them are willing to sell that black skin to the highest bidder. Now, I want to play another piece for you that I did on a phenomenon that has popped up in recent years called racism laundering. And this has, again, to do with black people being mouthpieces for white supremacy. But this is a specific phenomenon that has really reared its head in the age of social media. And people said, well, why do we need another term to describe what we already know exists? I mean, we had words for them back in the day, and I'm not going to repeat any of those words on the air. But this has specifically to do with corporations and organizations that feel the need to create this window dressing of diversity. We have Black voices here, but those Black voices have to be speaking from a very specific point of view. And this is what is known as racism laundering. I'm going to play this piece for you, and then we'll come back and finish talking about this topic. There's a term you may not have heard of that describes something that I've suspected has been going on for a while now. It's called racism laundering. It describes a practice that happens quite often, both in online spaces and IRL. The idea is you get a black or brown person to peddle your white supremacist talking points as their own and thus use their race as a cleansing agent of sorts to help you avoid any accusations of racism. It's essentially black fishing with consent. This can happen in a couple of ways. It can be self-directed. A black or brown person who sincerely subscribes to conservative ideals can be targeted by right-wing media outlets or political organizations to become a mouthpiece for their white supremacist views. These ultra-right-wing outlets will incentivize a person of color to spew racist ideals in service of their agenda. Or it can happen in a more surreptitious way. A scandal at a popular UK paper, The Daily Mail, has exposed an even more sinister form of this practice. Conservative writer Dominique Samuels recently outed the paper for offering to pay her for a, quote, ghost-written, negative, verging on racist piece which she turned down because it apparently went a bit too far this time. When a commenter asked her about whether another piece that she had supposedly written that attempted to downplay racism against Meghan Markle was also ghostwritten, she simply responded, yeah, it was. Commenters who are familiar with the Daily Mail's content immediately started to question how far-reaching the practice was, considering that the Daily Mail regularly publishes content by several black conservative writers. This racism laundering seems to play into a larger phenomenon of influence peddling that seems to be much more common than it used to be. The practice of black and brown talking heads, commentators, politicians, and operatives essentially selling their minority status to the highest bidder. I'm sure they see it as a winning strategy. You announce yourself as being a 
amenable to discussing issues from a decidedly conservative, even borderline racist point of view, and you instantly become a hot commodity to the right. They're always in need of black and brown voices to communicate messaging that might come off as racist if it were known to be coming from a white person. And there's the added benefit of pulling more black and brown people into the fold by showing them someone who looks like them, who thumbs their nose in the face of the liberal left. They now get to be the mavericks, the elite, the chosen few who really get it. Racism laundering may not always happen as blatantly as it did with the Daily Mail, but the practice is alive and well. Once you're aware of it, you'll start to recognize the earmarks of it, and hopefully you'll begin to question some of the messaging coming from black and brown people that's meant to normalize white supremacy. Now, what's the difference between racism laundering and good old-fashioned, we'll just say Tomming? It really has to do with how things have shifted in our current age. It is now seen as essential even by more conservative organizations, news organizations, or public corporations to have this perception of diversity. That was not always the case. So this racism laundering really has to do with the motivations of the corporations and organizations themselves to present an image of diversity. Now they are much more motivated than they have ever been to present this image to at least thwart these accusations of them being racist. And it's all about creating this front. It's all about creating the perception of diversity versus having any true diversity of thoughts or opinions. You can be a black person within that organization, but do not dare step out of line and say anything that your white counterparts would not say. And as a matter of fact, we want you here so that you can go just a little bit further to the right of what we would say in terms of race and of culture because you are an asset to us in that way. You are someone who can say the things that we can't say. Therefore, it serves our purpose as a corporation to have you on board. We need you to deliver this message. That was not always the case. 40, 50, 60 years ago, and even before, people who would be accused of doing this, they were doing it really of their own volition and they had their own motivations for doing so. A couple of people mentioned folks like Booker T. Washington. Well, it's like Booker T. Washington wasn't necessarily needed by any white organizations. They did not need to present the perception of diversity. They did not need to have any black voices saying what they really wanted to say because those white corporations were fully able to say what they said with their whole chest versus these days where we have a much more politically correct environment, even for conservative organizations, they still have to abide by certain rules. So having these black voices to speak on behalf of them is much more vital than what it used to be. So in online spaces, particularly, there is a bit of a gold rush that is happening. There are people who are building careers off of this. Black creators, they are making real money. There's real money being made. And I don't think many people realize just what a huge phenomenon this is. But we're seeing seeing presidential candidates pop up and not just black folks. I talk about black folks a lot because I am black, but this is happening outside of our community as well. This is happening with brown folks. This is happening with Asian folks. I got a lot of comments and interaction around this stuff happening in the UK, around it happening in Australia. This is not just an American phenomenon. It's happening all over the place. And there are some very specific corporations and media groups and political organizations that are behind it. They have realized that it's a winning strategy. There's absolutely no reason for them not to implement it, and they're utilizing it to their benefit. Now, let's talk about solutions, because as I said, the more upwardly mobile that Black folks become, the more danger there is that we are going to see a greater and greater confluence of these types of people. Black folks who are Black in name only and who are really not connected to the struggle of common Black folks 
who see black people as touting their victimhood, who see black people as always wanting a handout and all of these negative stereotypes and perceptions about black people. The more black people become entrenched in middle-class life and upper middle-class life, and even the more wealthy black folks that you see, the more that their future generations will start to lose touch with common folks who are not where they are. And this is a huge problem that I see going forward. I exist primarily in online spaces and I see this stuff happening at a higher and higher rate. And it's a little bit scary. So let's let's talk about solutions. Maybe you're a black person who has children and you have been able to eke out at least a middle-class life, possibly an upper middle-class life, and you don't want your kids to fall prey to this mentality. You don't want your kids to become these spoiled, detached, rich kids who poke at working-class folks with a 10-foot pole and look down on folks and accuse them of a victimhood mentality or of always wanting handouts or being welfare queens and they're all thugs. You don't want your kids to grow up with this mentality. What can you do? Well, I can tell you, as someone who was raised in a very middle-class world, my brothers and sisters and I never went to public school. We could have ended up like a Candace Owens. Now, what prevented us from going down that particular path? Being rooted and being grounded in blackness, being around family members, being around church members in that Pentecostal holiness world, being around aunts and uncles who taught us what it meant to be a regular black person. If your child grows up in a private school environment, if they grow up in a white church, if they grow up in a white neighborhood, don't be surprised if they get to their adulthood and they don't understand why the average black person deals with the challenges that they deal with. If you never expose them to education and conversation around things like redlining, gerrymandering, Jim Crow laws, housing segregation, how all of those things have an impact on us today. If you are not having those conversations with them and you just want them to have a comfortable life because you don't want them to suffer like you suffered, don't be surprised if you end up dealing with some mentalities that are dragging them into a world that you want nothing to do with. Make sure that you are educating your children to help them avoid the kind of closed-minded, one-dimensional, shallow thinking that we see in people like Candace Owens. And she has very much become the model for what not to do. But that doesn't happen by accident. That happens because you do not consistently expose your children to conversations and to interactions that remind them of who their people are and where they came from. Help your children understand history at a level that maybe you didn't even understand. They're going to have to get it some way. They're either going to get it on the streets, they're going to get it from interacting with people, or they're going to get it from a book. They're going to get it from reading articles online and watching documentaries. That has to be a purposeful education that you introduce your children to if they are not growing up in a way that the average black person has grown up in this country. There is going to be some detachment if you don't make sure to counter that. So if your child ends up being one of these folks on TikTok shilling for white supremacy, don't be surprised if you did not go out of your way to educate them against that because there's a whole world full of vultures out there who are willing and ready. They are poised and waiting to scoop these kids up and make them a mouthpiece for anti-blackness. You gotta do your jobs as black parents. We are counting on you. Well, that's all I have for you this week. My name is Dara Star Tucker. I wanna thank you so much for joining me. I am so looking forward to this journey that we are gonna walk through together. I'll be back next week to talk to you about exactly what is on my mind. I want you to join me on the KJLH Instagram page. It's Radio Free KJLH on Instagram. You can also find me at Dara Star Tucker. That's Dara with one R and Star with two on all platforms. Instagram, I'm Dara Tucker B. I wanna continue this conversation online and I want you to join me there. We're going to have fun. We're going to meet at the same time, same place next week. And until then, let's learn how to shout.